I get it started You are now tuned in to my parents' office yeah, With Brett Castle and Andrew Diaz New, new dropping, yeah, you know where I'll be at Believe that, New England flow in your speakers Tryna run game, lace heat like sneakers In a flashlight, lightning bugs I pop up at your spot and I'm lighting up, yeah JR on a mic and I'm next to blow No commercials, I turn it to an episode Better get down to business, begin the show So let me get going, welcome to MPO What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the My Parents Office podcast. A little week off for vacation, but uh, we are back and uh, ready to get get right back into your ears for uh, this week, getting into episode 100 on the next one, and then Camp Chronicles starting next week. So uh, I'm joined here, but my name is Andrew Diaz. I don't know if I said that already, but uh, um, I'm joined here by my co-host and producer, Brett Castle uh, via Zoom. Before we get into it, socials, follow us at My Parents Office on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, Substack articles from the office, and uh, Facebook page, My Parents Office podcast. But uh, we've got, we're going to be, instead of a draft today, we're going to be building an all-time Olympic wrestling team, uh, talking pretty much going to be an Olympic-centric, Olympic-centered show. And then we've got an interview with one of my old college coaches when I was a freshman and current SUNY Cortland defensive line coach, um, Coach Curran. So I uh, look forward to that in the second half of the episode. Tape that one over vacation. Um, but, Brett, what's going on? What's up, buddy? Jersey misses you. I know. I, I, I don't miss Jersey. That's the one thing. Jersey's an okay state. It's all hey, right. Hey, Wawa today. Wawa's, Wawa's the bright the, side. The newly – uh, refurbished Wawa, which honestly, I've never seen a Wawa look better. That was such BS. I literally pulled in there when I got down there and I'm like, I like tried to walk in and the construction workers like, why are you trying to get in here? And I'm like, uh, I'm going to get a sandwich. I'm going to get a, a milk. And he's like, it's closed. Like we're, we're, uh, redoing it. So I had to go up the street only like seven minutes. Cause that was the next closest one. So, uh, but yeah, how, how is that new one? Oh my god, it looks so much better. The old, the old one looked like all the other ones, so it still looked good. But like, I'll try to, I'll send you some pictures. <laughs> okay. Let's see, it looks good. All right, so we got the Olympics going on. I, I won't lie, I haven't been as engaged in past years with this Olympics. Um, I don't know if I've been because I've been a little busy or just not that interested this year. But uh, wrestling is we just had the weekend of wrestling. So to kind of commemorate that, we're going to do our all time Olympic wrestling team. Yeah. I haven't seen shit besides every session so far for wrestling. Like yep. I'm kind of mad at myself for not watching anything. Like I've always enjoyed watching like the gymnastics, which we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, yep. Volleyball, the swimming, like it's fun to just watch a little bits and pieces of different sports, but yeah, like, I've only been watching the wrestling, so I haven't watched like probably like when did the Olympics start again? Oh Jesus, I don't even know. Probably like a week before July ended, maybe. Yeah, but, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I haven't seen Jack crap. Yeah, I've watched like I watched uh, the most I probably watched it was actually the golf. We were the most uh, I probably watched is watching funny Paralympic videos on Instagram. Jesus, we were in the hotel and like when we were going to, like getting into bed like to go to sleep the golf was going on. So I was watching a lot of that. Uh, Xander Shoffley of America won the gold medal. 
um, in golf, which was cool to see. But like every time I was going to bed while that tournament was being played, I was watching that, which was pretty awesome. But uh, so for wrestling, how's that work for golf? Sorry, like is it one person per? There's I think three per country, or like each country gets a different number. Like I know America had like Xander Shoffley, Patrick Reed, and there was another American golfer. I don't know if every country had three. Like I can't imagine like the smaller countries had three golfers um, on their team. Well, they're probably allowed the same amount. Yeah, maybe. I guess you, I don't know how you qualify for it. Like for swimming, like you qualify by your times. Golf is like, it's worldwide. But there were a lot of golfers that are like on tour that I've never heard of, like that haven't won a tournament in the past. Like that are like, I haven't seen at least. So I'm not sure how qualification works. Because, like, Bryson DeChambeau was on the uh, American team, but he got COVID, and they had to pretty much tap Patrick Reed in for the, uh, for the tournament. So, I, I don't know how the qualification works. Um, how's America at women's golf? I don't know. I think, like, Japan might be, like, really good at it. I honestly have no clue. Honestly, the one sport I've watched is a little bit of swimming when it's on because it's fun to watch. Like, it's an intense – five or it's an intense minute of action um i've watched i haven't really watched a lot of wrestling and golf that's and a little bit of basketball but like they stink this year so i mean i haven't really watched any of that which uh has kind of been a bummer but it it really just has been kind of a bummer of a year for the olympics at least to me because i just haven't been as focused on it so yeah i mean happens COVID's taking a little bit of a damp around some things anyway. Like, no crowd. They can't take that group picture once they get their medals. There's some crap. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. It's so dumb for wrestling as well. Like, you literally just wrestled this person, but you can't take a picture next to them. Yeah, it's it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But we're going to be building our all-time Olympic team for wrestling. We're going by the modern weights. But like Brett said before we started taping – a guy like Henry Cejudo was a 55 kilogram wrestler. He'll fall into like the 57 kilo uh, bracket. Like any, any guys in that, like from 55 to 57, they'll fall into the 57. So it's 55, 57, 65, 74, 84, 89, 82, 86, 86, 97 and 125. So yeah. I think the the first guy that has to be on here, in my opinion, is Kurt Angle. Okay, Mr. America. I I mean, he won he won a gold medal with a broken neck. I don't care if any if there's a more decorated heavyweight, but he has to be on here. Like, he has to be the 125. Just off of like what he did in the Olympics is so outrageous. Like, he's definitely 97. Is he a 97? I thought he was a 25. No, Bruce definitely won heavyweight that year. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Wait, I'm trying to see. There's the 96 Olympics. I'm looking at an article right now. Uh, 100 kg, so 97. So that would he would fall into our 97? I would, yeah, I'd say that. I don't want to bump him up about 25 kilograms. All right, so I'm gonna hang on. Let me get a word document going on here, so I can uh, keep our team together. 
So 97, it, I mean, do you have any objection to that pick right there at 97? Uh, is this, are we having the same list? Oh, so you, do you want to go back and, are we going to draft this kind of? Yeah, it's a draft. Oh, okay. So hang on, let me, let me get this set up then. All right, 25. No M&M wrestling instead. Yeah, no M&M today. 65, uh, 74, 89, 97, 125. Yeah, so I'm going to take 97. I'm going to go Kurt Angle. Okay. First overall. Um, that's going to be my guy at 97. I mean, I'll just stick in the 97 boat. I'm kind of dumb if nobody – it's kind of dumb if nobody says Kyle Snyder, even though it's – you can call it recency bias or whatever you want, but he was regarded as pound-for-pound pound number one wrestler in the world a few years ago. He already has about four medals, four medals uh, at that weight and the senior level, so he's only going to get more and more. He has the possibility of winning a gold this year if he can get past – probably the goat Sajulayev, yep. um, a couple other hammers in his way, but he did it in 2016. He can do it this year. That's and then so, I, he, he's still, he's the youngest person on, on our team this year. He's not going anywhere. Like think about if we're doing this in like 2024, which is only three years around the corner, if he can get like three more medals and then like a few more golds, he'd probably be the goat in that weight class in America, possibly of all time. Yeah. That, yeah, I mean, I, I would have – so I was thinking Angle was going to be a heavyweight. So I was going to think of Snyder after. So I am bummed about that. But, yeah, that pick just feels – like Snyder's Captain America pretty much. Like, I feel like a lot of our picks is recent guys, but America's wrestling is the best it's attempt. up in recent years. Yeah, like the, the, the fact that we can have, like, three to four gold medals out of the possible five guys that we have is insane. Yeah, it, it's, it, it really is wild. Um, so, I mean, I'm going to, you, we mentioned this, you just mentioned this guy for heavyweight. I'm going to go with possibly you, you could argue that Bruce Bumgarner is the great one is you could argue as the greatest Olympic U.S. wrestler. I, I don't like. There's a lot of guys that you can make the argument for, but I just yes, feel like what he yeah. did at that level is just so outrageous that he has to be on here. And I mean, he has a sick mustache too now. Like now that I mean, he had one when he was wrestling, but now he's got the the true seal mustache, the the nice white one that he's gonna make the list. I mean, just an absolute freak. He's one. I'm, I'm looking right at. He was. Won gold at every Pan Am championship. Well, uh. no, I'm looking at before the Olympics. So he won gold in night in '84, silver in '88, gold in '92, and bronze in in '96 at 130 kilos. So, yeah. I, I mean, it, it, this felt clear cut after I learned that Kurt Angle was not a heavyweight. So, <laughs> you wrestled heavy in college. Where did he wrestle in college? Pitt, I think. Was it Pitt? Okay. All right. Next pick for you. Um, hold on. I just want to look back at Bruce for a second. The amount of world medals that he has is insane. Oh, One, two, on three, the Wikipedia four, page, five, it's insane. Six, seven, like, looking at the whole column. Nine? What'd you say? Looking at the Wikipedia page, the whole column of medals 
is insane. Yeah, I mean, Pan American, that I'm surprised that he took silver that one year, even though he was definitely young in 83. But looks like he was a national champion in college, two-time runner-up. Yep. So he was good off the bat, young. Just the dude's a hammer. Most senior, probably the most senior medals in American history, I would think. Yeah. Um, I mean, what are you going with here? Are you sticking heavyweight? You bounce into another weight? I'm just saying. I'm one more thing. Since we're on Bruce's page for Olympic medals, we have to mention uh, Muhan Lopez winning four gold medals in a row in yes. uh, Greco heavyweight between Beijing and this year. That's insane. Someone posted, what was it? It was a pretty funny meme, like a guy, a guy that I've been following on Twitter who's been kind of like live tweeting the uh, Olympics. And it was, it was weird to see because nobody tweets about wrestling, really. It's always like with Olympics track and swimming. Oh, God, where is it? But it was so – it said freestyle, and it was a picture of Michael Jordan – and then it was Greco-Roman, and it was a picture of, like, a beat-up Michael Jordan action figure. And, like, it was comparing the two, like, freestyles just so much better and more entertaining, which I thought yeah. it was funny because I, it, like, popped up on my timeline. And I'm like, oh, wow, people actually are uh, tweeting about wrestling. This is cool. That's cool. But one thing that was kind of annoying is that I saw a lot of people post that he was the first person to ever do so without really specifying what it was. Mm-hmm. Like, liked it if the posts were specifying first male four-timer first greco-roman four-timer because japan's icho um, i think that's how you pronounce her name um for gold medals and women's wrestling yeah that's yeah so i mean he, he's the first guy to do it but not the first overall to ever do it no um my second pick is probably next to bruce one of America's goats with John W. Um, John W. Smith. Um, I, I literally had him written in my 65 kilo area. I was like, he, I was like, he's, I, I was just praying you weren't going to pick him. You motherfucker. Yeah. The only person to pretty much go six for six, yeah. four world championships. I think, I think that's math right there. Probably. Um, yeah. Dude's a hammer. His, um, He's still very um, important in wrestling today, coaching one of the best dynasties. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, the only thing is that kind of – it doesn't hurt his legacy by any means, but back then there was 10 weight classes. So if you put him up today, he probably would be too small for 65. He'd still be a beast, but I'd love to see him today. Like, you know what I mean? No, no, I know know what you're saying. I mean, he would probably still – just be absolutely beating up on dudes and obliterate everybody still it it would be kind of i mean even he's just a freak he's just a freak of nature oh yeah i mean there's another 65 that you can say the last person to win a medal at that weight mr bill i'm not gonna bite so okay 89 i'm gonna go with a guy that wrestled at 84 that one 84 technic well 80 it was technically 84 and 85 okay i'm gonna go with undefeated uh the college undefeated kale sanderson okay 
Dude, um, if he never stopped wrestling, his ceiling was so high. Like, I'm pretty sure he took, I think he medaled um, or took fifth or something at Worlds previous that year. Or he won. I know he didn't do great at one Worlds. But if he kept wrestling after that, the year's 2000, right? Um, Let me see. Let me just make sure. Um, Yeah, because he won gold at the – he won gold in 2000. And he won gold in 2004. Oh no! 2004 is the Olympics he won gold at. I'm thinking. I'm looking at 2000 Tokyo. The uh, university. 2000, he was still in college. 99 was his like freshman year, I think. So. Yeah, no, no, you're right. 2004 was when he won gold. Yeah. So, if he kept wrestling after that, that'd been insane. He made that comeback in like 2011, took fifth. Between 2004 and 2011, imagine how many medals he can have. He could have been one of the goats. That's outrageous that he even came back. Like, think about that you take a seven-year gap in one of the most physically – in probably a top three physically demanding sport. It it just – and to take fifth is even crazier. If he had gone 0-2, that would have just been cool. Like, even for him just to come back at that point is awesome. But for him to come back and win a couple matches and take fifth is just insane. I mean, the fact that he kind of just came back as, like, a joke somewhat. Like, he told his team that – if you guys win this year, I'll come back at, at trials. And then he won trials. And then he went to Worlds and still pooped on people. Just annihilated people. As like a grown man wrestling head coach. <laughs> All right. What are you going with here? Um, I Go mean, bring his book right now. I've got Bruce Bumgarner at 125, Kurt Angle at 97, and Kale Sanderson at 89. You're sitting with Kyle Snyder at 97 and John Smith at 65. Yeah, that's not those aren't some bad those aren't bad wrestlers right there. That's all right. 57. I did might just put in Sehudo. Um Olympic gold medalist. Dude's got a golden heart. <laughs> like, dude was ranked 31st out of the like in the world, still took first. Um I mean, he didn't really wrestle too much after that year. I know he tried to make another team, but didn't do it. But what he was able to accomplish that year, dude, the hammer. He was, at the time, he was the youngest um, American gold medalist in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't really translate, but what he was able to do in UFC, like, I want a guy like that on my team. Yeah, that's a stud. Just an absolute stud right there. I, I actually – I was debating on – I didn't know if you were going to take him because I was going to try to hold out and take him later on. Yeah, it was either between him and Addis. All right. Well, I'm going to go with – Silver. There's another legend still on the board. He wrestled – So he wrestled at 68. Is he going to be a – seven? are we counting him at 65 or 74? Either. I'll throw Dan Gable at 65. And uh, so I've got his from the 1972 Olympics. I've got his matches pulled up. He so first match he won by fall against a Yugoslavian wrestler. Next match he won 20 to nothing. It says against a German wrestler. Wrestled a Greek wrestler and had a fall. Won by fall. Wrestled a Japanese wrestler. Won six nothing. Wrestled a Polish wrestler, won by fall, and then in the finals beat a Russian wrestler, uh, Ruslan Arshuliev, won three nothing. That's just so dominant that he's just out there tearing dudes' heads off. 
and getting a fall in the se- in like the semis is crazy. So I, I mean, and he's a, just a legendary coach, just an all around. He's the fa- like the, a, just the all time wrestling legend, the the greatest of all time. So I'm going Dan Gable at 65. Yeah, he's all right. Um, I mean, wrestling wouldn't be the way it is today if it wasn't for Dan Gable. Exactly. The, um, National Hall of Fame is named after him. He's probably the most, um, definitely the best coach of all time. Um, I mean, we'll see what Kale ends up doing, but I don't think his statistics are going anywhere. Uh, yeah, I, I have to, I'd have to agree with you on that. I mean, we're doing a lot of, besides Kyle Snyder, we're doing a lot of like former guys, which I like. So I'm kind of thinking about doing that for 74. 74, you're kind of dumb if you don't say the GOAT is Jordan Burroughs. But thinking about doing the GOAT before the GOAT, I don't know if I want to do it. Um, we'll, go, we'll go 74, Jordan Burroughs. Um, probably besides – he's probably top three, obviously, of all time and the greatest of all time for – American wrestlers, you could say he's number one. Um, this is the first year in pretty much a decade that he wasn't on our team. He more golds than Jesus. Um, it's really weird to see him not on the team. It's kind of disappointing, but it's just an odd thing to see. It is. I, I'm so happy that Dick is on the team, though, because I'm not saying that Burroughs wouldn't win, or I'm not saying Dick's like hundred percent going to, but at the same time, like he's so good. He has such a good college career. He's been right there for years now. I just want to see him on the team once. And the fact that unfortunately Burroughs is 0-2 against Sidikoff, I really think Dick has a good chance at just smashing him. Yeah. It, it really came down like as a fan, you're happy that it's Dake as the guy filling in for Bur- like as the guy that's above Burroughs that beat him for, to make the team. Like you'd kind of be disappointed if it was really anybody else to kind of take to kind of take the throne from a guy like that. So so it is nice to see that. But yeah, Burroughs is like you said, he's a top three Olympic level wrestler of all time for the US. Yeah. The only other person I would have said for 74 is somebody whose life was unfortunately made into a tragic film of Dave Schultz. But he was also an Olympic gold medalist, um, world champion six-time world medalist he also was like he was kind of like the face of wrestling in the world for a bit i'm not saying the face as like he was number one but people loved him everywhere like he had fans in russia like everyone just knew who dave schultz was he was just known for being like he was an icon. what was that he was an icon he was an icon he was just known as like that great guy that everyone loved so before, and now his brother's like a psychopath yeah. Before I make the pick, we've got you have 89 and 20, 125 left. I've got 56. Oh, is it 86? Why do I have 89 written down? Jesus. All right. 80, so you have 86 and 125. I have 74 and 57. I'm going to fill out my 74 here. And I'm going to go with the guy we literally just talked about that's above Bros. I'm going to say Kyle Dake. I, I mean, I is this, is this what you think is going to happen or yes. this is like my prediction pick that like I'm going <laughs> to have a gold medalist. Like I, that, see that that's just I needed to put that in there because 
you mentioned Schultz, but like, I didn't want to take him because I want to take a guy for this one, at least that I've seen wrestle. I I've gone way too late with guys that I really have never seen wrestle. I've only watched like Bruce Bumgarner clips and Kurt Angle clips. So I wanted to go with Dake. And yes, this is my pick that Dake is going to have a gold medal when the Olympics end. So Kyle Dake is my 74. I'm doing some research for 86. Um, I have to do the same for 57. I'm, I'm, I, I was looking at I'm like, I just Thomas Gilman. Jesus. I mean, I don't want to pick David Taylor. <laughs> I don't want to do the same kind of pick as Dake right now. Um, I'm going to be an idiot. Like, It's tough. Best 86 KG. See, what sucks is that, like, there's not much information about wrestling on, like, a on like a website like Wikipedia or just in general on the internet. Nobody cares about wrestling, so it's just, like, here here's something about wrestling that you may want to look at. I mean, Barstool kind of does right now. We could talk about that while I'm doing some research with the first – um, NIL merch coming out being Spencer Lee. Oh, I'm buying one of those shirts. I'm like, like I are, so I already put in an order at Barstool for the Arizona Bowl shirts because they've got their first, they're going to be covering a college football game and streaming it. So I bought one of the Arizona Bowl hoodies, but my next purchase from there is going to be the uh, Spencer Lee shirt that looks like a, a cart, like almost like a meme shirt of like a WWE wrestler from the 90s. Yeah, I don't, like I told you, I don't love the shirt. But oh, I obviously buy it to support him. Plus, he's kind of badass. I mean, I, I, if you're not ready yet, I have my pick for 57. Yeah, please do it. So I'm going to take – correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to take Terry Brands at 57. He did wrestle at 57, correct? Big Tom. Did Tom do better than him? <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to take brands. <laughs> Brand squared. I'll go, I'll go with Tom Brands as my my uh, 57 pick. So rounding out my team, I got Tom Brands at, 20, at 57, Dan Gable at 65, Dake at 74, Kale at 86, Kurt Angle at 97, and Bumgardner at uh, heavyweight. So you've got heavyweight and 86 to fill out here. Oh, I might. I think I know who I'm picking. All right. Talked about him. If you went this way, because I'm an idiot. Yeah, we're going to go with it. We're going to go with 82 kg at this time here. We're going to go with the GOAT Mark Schultz. Okay. It's just hard because we know the weights today as what they are. And we know the greats. Like, we know, like, the John Smith. We know the Bruce's. The, we'll say angles, brands. But their weight classes aren't as remembered as them. So the change so much. It's just so exactly follow. So I have all these names in the back of my head, but I'm like, can I use them? So I'm going to go with Dave Sh- Mark Schultz. He wrestled 82 kg. Um, he is an Olympic gold medalist and two-time world champion. For when he's competed, he does good. He has nothing under gold. I don't know how many DMPs he has, but if any. But he, I remember he he fought for a little. I think he only fought once in the UFC and dominated. He would have been a good fighter. Yeah. Um, but he was great. The him and his brother are a dynasty. Um, Channing Tatum plays him very well. He's my pick. 
<laughs> for 86. Um, so you have one more, right? Or do I have to pick my last? I picked my team. You just got to fill out a heavyweight. Heavyweight. Um, I'm going to pick uh, – oh, I had somebody in my head. Oh, what weight was Slay? Ooh, I think he's a heavyweight. I don't know. He's kind of big now. 76. No, he's <laughs> not a heavyweight. Not close to a heavyweight. Um, Chris Taylor? <laughs> I mean, you could foreshadow it and just take Gable. Going to do that, I might just end up hitting, picking Gwiz. Was he a two or three time world medalist? Like, I like that pick, that's a good one. He's somebody that, yeah, Chris Taylor is only a one time, yeah, you know, I'm gonna go with Chris Taylor. Um, Chris Taylor, all right. I had, I, I wasn't even, I was started to try to write Gwizdowski out, and then I literally <laughs> just wrote Gwiz, and that so I, I, so you're going with who, Chris Taylor? Yeah, I mean. Uh, there are definitely are wrestlers with better accolades, I would say, but this is somebody who did medal in the Olympics, and this is what we're talking about right now. This is our Olympic draft. He's massive. Holy shit. Yeah, no, there's a very iconic picture of somebody, I forgot his name, but throwing him. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, my God. You see the throw? Yeah, where the guy's literally got him, like, on top of him, but he's back arching him. Yeah. Does it say his name? Um... Oh, is that the Medved? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so the story with him is that, unfortunately, it has to do with Chris Taylor losing. It's it's, uh, Wilfried Dietrich. Okay, so before the Olympics started, he tried to hug him beforehand. He tried to see if he can block his hands in order to see if he could actually throw him. So before the Olympics start, he hugs Chris Taylor, and then that's how he knows he has the confidence to, like, throw him in the match. It's ridiculous. Uh, Chris Taylor, Olympic bronze medalist, and that's my final pick. So He's a legend. He was uh, Gable era. Him and Gable were boys. I'm p- pretty sure he went to Iowa. Um, yeah, he was Yeah, from Iowa. So yeah. my team, I've got Tom Brands, Dan Gable, Kyle Dake, Kale Sanderson, Kurt Angle, Bruce Bumgartner. You've got Henry Cejudo, John Smith, Jordan Burroughs, Mark Schultz, Kyle Snyder, and Chris Taylor. So this will be up on the Instagram page. I will post this with the poll. Go vote on who you think won this draft and who would have the better team um, in a dual meet if these two teams squared off. But, uh, yeah, so go make sure you go vote on that. Um, but so other Olympic talk, the uh, news around Simone Biles, um, she travels for the – she makes the Olympic gymnastics team. She travels to uh, Tokyo – she pulls out of or debates pulling out pulls out of the competition is still in the singles then withdraws from the singles now she's gonna be coming back for what's it the championship round um yeah for the beans or something right yes so you you had brought up that you want to talk about it what are your thoughts here i mean the most obvious politically correct thing to say is we don't have the right to say anything, but literally the point of talking is to have. Hey, our- hey we've got a podcast. We're we're we we're do. talking like we're talking about. It. I like what are just gender, your genuine thoughts on the situation? Because like, yeah, the really correct way to go with it is you say like, oh, yeah, like you said, we can't speak on it because it's her. Like it's 
but we can like we can talk about it I texted you right after I saw that she's coming back and I'm not a big fan of that like I understand you're either all in or you're all out in my opinion I agree. Um, she's gymnastics has so many different kind of events that obviously she has the opportunity which she's taking to take a step back and come back in um I don't know I I'm glad so that Olympic the young girl who won the gold medal in gymnastics is that what was that? The Olympic gold medalist who won this year, the young girl in uh, gymnastics, was that her backup? I ooh. If that's not her backup and was like a different like competitor in general, if Simone left and like just nobody replaced her, that's kind of annoying. Like imagine being like her backup who lost to the trials or whoever they do it, and they see the person who just took their spot and just quit. That's kind of frustrating. At the same time, you can't get mad at somebody who you don't want to compete in the highest stage of a mall and just like make a fool of yourself. Yeah. See, if you're not going to compete the best you can, I understand like taking a step back, but. Where, where I get frustrated with this. Um, it, so like I have a lot of sympathy for Simone Biles with whatever mental, mental health issues she goes through. I mean, she, was, Can I just add one thing to that real yeah. quick? I have more sympathy with all the social media backlash. Like whatever, whatever she's going on with, I have. She, I'm assuming she has figured it out because she's coming back. Like I'm not saying it wasn't serious, but I'm hoping that whatever her struggles were, they're fixed. But, but, but with that is, I don't agree with that. I think with mental health, it's very you have good days and bad days. Um, I think if when she, I think when she took herself out of the Olympics, I think she should have completely stayed out. Yep. Um, my opinion, but I mean, she she was one of the Nasser victims. She was one of the big whistleblowers when it came to the Larry Nasser situation. So she went through that, knew that her teammates went through that. That's got to be a tough thing to deal with as an athlete. Um, and, and like gymnastics is a crazy sport too. Like the it, if you're a gymnast, your body is just like your body's just yeah. fucked up. Like you're pretty much out of the womb you're made to be short and stay at the size you're at so you can be good at this sport but with the, like the social media backlash I don't agree with the people that are like white knighting for her where it's like you oh, can't no. think about that but I also don't agree with the people on the other side that are like that are just absolutely berating her I oh, that, I don't agree with either extreme I don't agree with like there's a middle ground. You can find a middle ground about how you feel about the situation. Yeah, no, I don't agree with the two extremes. One being like, oh my God, you're America's hero. Mm-hmm. And being like, you piece of shit. <laughs> like, yes. I, I think this was Ben Askren saying like, in his opinion, he would have, she would have been more of like a hero for gym, like young girl gymnasts in like elementary, middle school, whatever, mm-hmm. if he competed with diversity and even though she was going through stuff she still competed and gave her best that was his opinion of the situation I don't disagree with that and he probably got dragged by people that were like white knighting for her I I don't maybe but I don't agree with like I don't completely agree with when things get tough bow out yeah I think but again I'm not in her shoes like obviously she was in the right like she was in the mindset of she knows what's best for her. She knows her mind. 
she knows her body better than anybody else. Like, no, I, I, I get that. And, but another thing that I did have an issue with was like days before the Olympics, she's doing the thing where she's calling herself the goat. She's like, I'm the she greatest. She wrote it on her, like it's on her uniform. Yeah, like you're saying you're the greatest Olympic athlete of all time, or the greatest athlete or even greatest gymnast, but like, regardless, I understand mental health is a big struggle. And like, like I said, she's gone through, she's been sexually assaulted, dealt with that. It has her, has had her body pretty much manufactured to stay where she's at to become the gymnast that she's been, but don't go out there and say you're the goat when there are you're you're not you're like you're not don't try bragging and then don't get also don't get mad when people don't call you the goat for backing out of this competition i i'm fine if people are like well a goat wouldn't do that i i don't know I, but the, but then there's people like what's his name the comedian tim dillon he said there's an article written about him that i read today i didn't agree with the whole premise of the article but i did agree because he talked about I did. He talked about Naomi. No, no, no. Tim Dillon can write articles. No, he didn't write it. This was written about. Oh, okay. So he said this actually about not Biles, but Naomi Osaka, the tennis player. That oh, yeah. Okay. Same situation. He said, shut the fuck up and do the fucking interviews. You dumb bitch. Um, yeah. So like, like, like some... no, he's trying to be over the top edgy and like draw attention to himself. I don't know. That's like a Joe Rogan soundbite kind of thing. Where like, I don't think that's actually how he feels. Like, so don't say it. Like, that's where I look at it. Is like, yeah, he doesn't actually mean what he's saying. And but and I'm not trying to say it to like, uh, like defend him. But I'm saying like, you don't mean what you're saying. Why are you saying this? Like, there's no need for you to just say something you do not believe in. Yeah, I didn't know before the Olympics started that. Well, I found out like when they started that she was competing for Japan, which was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I kind of see the goat thing a different way. Okay. We got to end this pretty soon, but. Oh, no, you're good. You're good. Okay. Like, I don't like, she definitely bowed out when she said that she had to withdraw from the Olympics due to mental issues or mental, whatever she said. Um in a way, she's kind of doing that to herself, calling herself the GOAT. Calling yourself the GOAT is adding, like, an extra layer of pressure that shouldn't be there. Nobody, like, that's, like, a label that, you can, of course, you can still be pressured and have a certain, like, have a certain, like, um, I can't think of the word, but you should perform a certain way um, people think you should. But if you're calling yourself the greatest of all time, you're supposed to perform a certain way. And if you don't think you could perform a certain way, you're going to like be discombobulated. Like, yeah, that's one fault right there that people, people close to her shouldn't be like allowing her to do that. In my opinion. Uh, yeah, no, I get that. Like the, to me, just the whole goat thing is just outrageous because if, if, we're, like, looking, I, if we're looking at like, you're going to call yourself the goat. If we're looking at like the greatest, just stick with summer greatest summer Olympians of all time. She doesn't even break into like She's not on my Mount Rushmore that like, no, but she's not, she's not calling herself the best athlete. She's not calling herself the best like sports person. She's calling herself like, I'm assuming the best gymnast of all time. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't like the people that are since she's uh, like, I've seen on Twitter and Instagram, people are like, Oh, since she's bowed out, they're like, you are the goat. Like kind of like validating her as the goat. And I'm like, this doesn't, 
You are the goat of mental. Oh my god. Uh, but yeah. But yeah, yeah, I don't see it. I don't dislike it for like the cocky purposes. I just don't like it because she already obviously has like some anxiety issues, and you're not really helping yourself right now, saying that you're pretty much better than everybody else. Yeah, that's a it's a tough tough one. But uh, I, I I'm just I I'm the with kind of like wrapping that up. It's just I'm not happy that she's coming back. That's my biggest issue with the entire thing. Like throughout the whole thing, I really didn't care. Like mental health like deal with it how you're going to deal with it um i i didn't mind that she was on the floor kind of as like a cheerleader for the team i didn't mind that but like now you're coming back um i'm just i well i figure what i think once you're out you should stay out i agree and one thing that's kind of annoying i mean she's coming back she's such an inspiration and she's america's sweetheart right now um if this happened in 2016, there would definitely be a different reaction. Or even 2012. Yeah, like, you're saluted nowadays for talking. Oh, oh I agree with that. I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah no, mental so, – the stigma is kind of breaking on all mental health where it's – you want to be more open to talk about it. I mean, if this happened in – like, I understand what you're saying, like, 2012, 2016. Imagine if this happened in the 80s, if she had done it. She would have been burned at the stake. Like, <laughs> anyone would have well, think about, well, let's say, let's say, let's say like 2000s when there's more media. Like, she would still be the face everywhere in like 2000. And in 2000, she would still be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, if she thinks this, like, Twitter backlash is bad, oh my God, 2000s and like, say 96 or 2000, that would have been brutal for Smoke. She'd be getting all the newspaper backlash. And like she would have had very little, a, a very little amount of support. She would not have gotten like the, yeah. the 50 50 support where like, cause it feels like it's a split. Like, like a lot of people agree with her, a lot of people are against her. She would, it would have been 90 10 or 95 5 for Simone Biles if this had happened 20 years ago. Whew. Yeah. And well, the difference is kind of the people back then, the ones who would support her would be the quiet ones i would say and the ones who are against it now are more quiet yeah like the people, obviously there's the people that are against it that have like an actual measured like a level-headed thought about it that are against it have stayed quiet but then you get the people on twitter like the like tim dylan with naomi osaka like there are people like that 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 i think some of them genuinely believe it but i think some of them are trying to be edgy and just drum up buzz for themselves because it's a lot of people that are have their own media company, have their own podcast, yeah. have their own blog. So they come out and they're like, this is the best way for me to get clicks. I'm just going to go wild. I'm going to get 50, like some people are going to love what I'm saying. And then I'm going to get an absolute, I'm going to get absolutely torched by one side. So yeah. that, that's what I think a lot of people are doing. But a lot of people that do disagree with Biles, I think have kept pretty quiet. Yeah. Corday, get your girl. So anything else from you? Got nothing. Nothing else? I don't think so. What's your sleep schedule um, been like? Because I know you, you've been Snapchatting me at like <laughs> one in the morning watching wrestling, and I'm trying to just sleep. Um, between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m., pretty much wrestling is on. And then I sleep for about four hours, and then wrestling starts around 5 a.m. for a few hours, and then I go back to sleep for a couple hours. Are you sleeping on the couch or on, in your bed? I'm sleeping on my couch. <laughs> For this comfy, week. comfy couch. I won't lie. Comfy couch. It is. 
Um, yeah, so we kind of talked about just for talk about wrestling for a few minutes. Um, before, it's kind of crazy that in 2016, Helen was the first ever, um, never mind gold medalist in wrestling. I think she was the first ever finalist in wrestling. Was well, she? Women, I think so. She's the only gold. So I'm pretty sure Adeline's the second finalist, which I know she had gold on the mind. I believe we all thought she would. Um, but just the fact that she made history becoming the second American um, finalist in wrestling, that's great. Uh, Tamara Mensa stock is in the finals tomorrow. She's won 10-0 in two matches and 10-4 in a different match. She's got, I'm pretty sure she's beaten her, um, the girl that she's facing in the final, she's beaten three times already. So pretty much it's like how bad will she beat her this time? Yeah. Uh, we're doing, we're not doing great in Greco. Big shocker right there, but we won one match. Uh, D'Angelo Hancock looked pretty good yesterday. Um, good match, baby. Let's go. It's interesting that D'Angelo Hancock, that he's probably done the best in America for Greco for a little bit, and he trains mostly outside of America. So that's yeah. something. Yeah. Um, Edar, he went 0-2, I believe. No. Uh, yes, 0-2. <laughs> Um, he lost his first match, I believe, but then the Cuban that beat him in the first round ended up winning the whole thing, got the gold medal, which – so, so far, Greco is 2-0 and in gold medals mm-hmm. – or in Cuba, uh, which was kind of disappointing because I really wanted Fumita from Japan to get the gold this year. Um, pretty sure Japan hasn't gotten a gold medal in Greco in, like, 37 years, and the last time they were, the Olympics were in Japan, it did pretty well. Japanese women aren't doing as well as I thought they would be, but the lightweights are starting kind of today. So now they're the Olympics doesn't really have a team race for wrestling or anything. It's kind of just like who gets more medals. Mm-hmm. If there was a team race, the team race is kind of like America or Japan. So go team USA. Um, in wrestling, we talked kind of touched on it a little bit before, but the Spencer Lee, it he's. Spencer Lee being the barstool first real athlete barstool is marketing. Like the whole barstool athlete thing, you kind of applied. A lot of people just became barstool athletes. Don't really know what that means pretty much. And and like what Portnoy talked about on his podcast that he's like, we have this, but we're going to pretty much look at narrow it down to 10 or 15 college athletes, maybe 20 that we legitimately can market and make a brand for us. And then we'll start rolling out merch with them, work with them, and pretty much turn them into like real-life ambassadors for us, for the company. And Spencer Lee has become that first guy, which I'm actually shocked about, but I shouldn't be because Lee is as big a name as it gets in wrestling. Um, I'm, I'm just shocked that they didn't go with like a basketball player or a football player. All, like I, I figured that's what they would have went with, but I'm just I'm pumped that they went with Lee. Yeah, the other thing I'm a little surprised about with that is never mind they didn't go with like a basketball player, football player. They went with someone who only has one year of eligibility left. But so. there was a lot that like works with that. With that, like the shirt is perfect with the uh, well, not perfect, but like they have the saying because of what Lee yeah. did wrestle with two torn ACLs. It's so gritty. If you're not a wrestling fan, people are going to be like, why is this saying on the shirt? a bar stool, like a stoolie. They'll look up the saying and look up that Lee wrestled with out two ACLs and be like, that's awesome. 
So, I mean, Spencer Lee kind of is that perfect first shirt for them and first athlete. So I know the NIL stuff of Barstool, obviously they're kind of centered around college athletes right now, but I wonder if how many, at least for wrestling, once they graduate, I wonder how many will kind of stay with Barstool. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know because like, because it's, it's weird, like basketball and football it may work because if these guys go to the draft and stuff, I, they'll get covered more closely. Wrestling will be weird because college, Barstool doesn't have college wrestling. They don't have anybody that specifically covers college wrestling or Olympic or just any wrestling in general. They have like two WWE podcasts. They don't have anybody at all that's on the college wrestling or Olympic wrestling beat. So I am curious because like Spencer Lee is their first guy, their first athlete. So you'd think that they'd want to keep him in orbit once he's out of college. The thing with wrestling that's kind of cool is there's like MMA fans right now. Like they're, there's more and more of them every day. And the fact that RBY and Gabor, two guys that could be marketed so easy just for college wrestling, they're stepping over into like that MMA area, which Gable isn't really like trained too much, but he just signed with the MMA management company. I don't really know what that means too much because I'm pretty sure he's going into pro wrestling right after. Nobody but, knows what anything Gable does means. It's all fucked up, everything he does. I agree. Um, but uh, RBY trains with Dominic Cruz. A lot of MMA fans know who RBY is because of um, Dominic Cruz keep posting him all the time. So yeah. more MMA fans that know who he is, that would probably help if like Barstool came out with a shirt for him. Definitely. I, honestly, I, I would have thought Gable would have been that guy. Like the first guy that bars, like the first because, but but all that the guy. uncertainty around him. Not that guy, pal. You're not that. You're not that guy, Gable. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing that hurts him is we don't really know where he's going to be if he wins the Olympic gold medal. I think the NIL bill helps him out, though. It helps keep the push on him to stay in college because he, he could honestly think about it. Be like, look, I could probably roll my way to another NCAA championship while also making money. Like, I think that's how he could look at it. Well, he just wants to be the next Brock Lesnar so bad. He said that multiple times. He wants to be a WWE champion. He wants to be a UFC champion. He wants to spend 10 days in the NFL. Like, Which, honestly, doesn't feel that crazy for a guy like Gable. God, no. It's more crazy to think of Kuhn in the NFL than Gable. Okay, well... It makes more sense that Coons in the NFL than like he was an astronaut. Like like he he was he was building a rocket to actually fit himself in it. Him being in the NFL doesn't feel that crazy for Gable just because of that. Wait, what? <laughs> Gable, like I'm saying with Coon, he was building a rocket to be like he because he majored in like. Aeros- yeah, like astrophysics or whatever. Yeah, astrophysics. So he wanted to go to space. So he was building a spaceship or a rocket to pretty much fit all six, nine of himself in there. Um, so him in the NFL, I mean, it's crazy, but it's like, I could picture him on a football field over floating around the moon. Yeah. You know, um, you know, when you see the same person almost every day, you don't really like see how much they age or grow. Yeah. Look at Gable's freshman year, and you're like, oh, my God. He looks like – this Gable looks like he ate that Gable. Like, he just looks like a different human being. Does he have pictures of of that? Does he have, like, freshman year pictures of him on Instagram? Well, just look up him versus Kassar. But, he, like, the, 
obviously he's still young. Like he's like probably 19 or 20 years old. Um, just the amount that he's maturing, not even just like as a person, but physically, he's got his two arm sleeves, got his beard. I was gonna he, say he got tattoos, and he does. He looks a little doughier too. He like he looked a little then, yeah. as a freshman. Like he's got the little pouch now. I mean, he still he still has that a little bit, but he's way more defined. The tattoos, the beard. I mean, he, he, that's crazy. Yeah, he doesn't. He looked like a child, and that was like two years ago. Yeah. Doing little child Gable doing backflips at their wedding high school state finals. It's outrageous. But uh, so that well, well, my point was saying with my point with that was like just think about three years from now, like dude's gonna be a tank. It's, oh, it's going to be nuts, no matter what he's doing. Yeah. But uh, so that'll wrap up Brett and I right now. Uh, make sure you stick around for the interview with SUNY Cortland uh, defensive line coach, uh, Coach Curran. But uh, episode 100 coming up. Um, guest is still in the air. I think we're circling three, got three potential interviews. Um Two of them are like individual ones, and then one of them is a duo, possibly two brothers that we may have on. Um, so we're still brands. That. Yes, it is the brands brothers. That is the right. announcement. But uh, so stay tuned for that. I don't know if we'll, we'll announce it until it's like locked and loaded. But uh, yeah, so stay tuned for episode 100. But here is the interview with Coach Curran. All right, now joining the show, we've got on. SUNY Cortland defensive line coach, uh, Rich Curran. Uh, coach, how are you? Good, Andrew. How's everything going, man? I'm doing good. Happy to get you on. Um, so, like we were talking before, you're getting ready for the season. Um, I, I, I'm psyched to get back on the field. I know you're probably excited to be back on the sidelines coaching. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, obviously at my, at my previous stop, un- unfortunately got there right, right as COVID was hitting. So, uh, you know, put in a lot of work and um, – you know, unfortunately had to leave, but I'm, I'm excited to hit the gridiron again and uh, have a lot of success this fall. So it's, uh, it's definitely going to be exciting. Definitely. So you go to Stonehill at the end of the season, after the end of my freshman year at Mass Maritime, you go to Stonehill. And then how did that kind of work out with you be, for you? Because you recruited probably your own guys um, and now you, you're not really able to see them play or work with them. So, so how does that kind of all worked out for you? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the uh, the one downside of college coaching is, uh, yeah. especially as a young guy like myself, um, you're always trying to level up and, and keep moving with your career in, in the best direction possible. Mm-hmm. Um, even had it at Mass Maritime, you know, as the recruiting coordinator. So, um, you know, pretty much overseeing the whole class and, and getting guys in and, and making those relationships and connections. Um, it's tough to, to, to kind of move on after you, after you built that and actually had a kid commit his, you know, almost future to, to, yeah. to coming over to that school. So it, it is a tough situation, um, you know, and especially for guy, even the guys building relationships, but uh, obviously being on your podcast and being able to talk to you, yeah. it's, it just shows you that relationship still can go further than just that one or two years that you guys spoke and, uh, you know, building that relationship to go to the college or coaching them for one year. So, um, you know, it is a tough thing to say goodbye and it's never the right time. It's never going to be the right time. But, um, you know, I, I, you know, I just talked to one of my former players at Stonehill today and just checking up on him and seeing how he's doing. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's a relationship that lasts forever. And, you know, as a young coach and as a coach in the, you know, just being a guy in the profession, um, 
just letting guys know that you're always there for them and, and making sure, um, you know, you, you can help them in whatever manner possible or making sure that that relationship still keeps going. So, you know, like we were talking about some of those guys on the D line at mass maritime, I, yeah. I still got all their numbers saved in my phone and, and I, hopefully they, they do as well uh, with mine. And, you know, it's always good to reach out and, and still keep the, those connections, uh, especially with all this fifth year stuff going on. You never know who, who's going to need a home in a couple of years. So, um, but yeah, it's, to be honest, it's never a, it's never a good time, but um, you know, it's, um, always try to keep those relationships open and, and keep them moving. Like we were talking before. I mean, it's crazy. The D line you had um, when I played, uh, you had Kyle Johnston who graduated. He's, he's already him and Eric are already uh, they're in the work, the workforce. You got Colin McCabe just graduated. He's working out on the great lakes now. And then Jerry Mackin is a senior this year. And then Mac Brown and Hugh, they're both going to be juniors with me. So, I mean, it is, it is crazy, especially COVID definitely made it feel like it, it definitely sped everything up, but like seeing this now is pretty, it must be pretty crazy for you to see those guys. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I still keep in touch with coach Farazani and then mm-hmm. co- I saw coach cam over the summer and, you know, just checking up on, on you guys and some of those, some of the underclassmen. And then they're talking about, you know, like you said, Jerry Mack being a senior. I was like, Oh my God, I felt like he last week, he was just a freshman and, yeah. you know, um, you know, hearing those guys names and, and seeing how they've grown and developed and, it, it really is insane. And I guess that's been the one, the you know, one crazy thing about COVID, you know, one of the crazy things about COVID is, is uh, yeah, like you said, everything being sped up and, you know, unfortunately mass maritimes that kind of place where it is tough to kind of have that fifth year opportunity, right. um, you know, and be able to do that thing because it's, you know, at the end of the, 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 the light at the end of the tunnel is uh, you know, a, a nice big salary that you can take advantage of. So yeah. um you know, I've been blessed with great players and, and great and more importantly, great people at all of my stops thus far. And, you know, I could go on and on about those great guys and the Kyle Johnstons and the Eric Marchands of the world. And, uh, you know, they're, they're all great guys and they're all doing great things in their in their jobs now, uh, you know, post playing. And, you know, even some of my guys at Stonehill that I just coached up, um, you know, had a couple guys that wound up not taking the fifth year option and, and wound up, you know, one's in the police academy. One has a job back in New York, um, working in fi- in finance and business. So, um, you know, guys have cho- chosen to go on to, uh, you know, bigger and better things off the field. And I completely get that. And it's, um, but I've been, you know, those guys, it was a great group of guys to start my career off with and, uh, you know, have been blessed with even better, you know, with, with good guys and, um, you know, moving forward as well. It's, it, I, you know, it's, it's a great thing. It, it really is a great thing, but those guys, yeah, it's, uh, hearing those names bring back a lot of good memories. So with, so you went to Stonehill for the year COVID happens. What, what was the transition for you to SUNY Cortland? Like how did that kind of all transpire for you to go from coaching at Stonehill division two to going back to division three to coach at Cortland in New York too? Yeah. I mean um, the one thing I will say is, is the coaching world. Once you get into it, you realize how small it is. And um you know, really not knowing anybody on the Cortland staff or so I thought, um, yeah. you know, you, 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 I went up for the interview and, uh, you know, start talking with the staff there and, you know, how they know my college staff and they know guys that I've coached with and okay. you start seeing this, how the spider web all connects. And, um, you know, it was a, it, it was a great opportunity to move closer to home and, um, you know, other, other benefits as well. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's going to be a great experience, kind of similar 
Um, probably to my experience at Mass Maritime, I'm still going to be recruiting my home state of New Jersey. So that's always a plus, uh, mm. knowing, knowing some, uh, you know, the old stomping grounds there. And, yeah. um, you know, like we talked about recruiting, um, you know, now recruiting a, a new section for Cortland in, in New England and helping them get some guys from there, which is what I've been, uh, I've been immersed in that life for, for a couple of years now yeah. and uh, recruiting certain areas and knowing where, where, where certain players are at. So it's exciting to bring a new perspective to the table. Um, but yeah, definitely could be a little bit different, but I feel that the, uh, you know, the Cortland staff definitely tries to operate as much as possible as a, you know, scholarship level program. And, you know, we, we have a lot of tradition and success. So I'm looking forward to bringing my spin and my take on things, um, you know, that I've picked up over the past couple of years at, you know, the division two and division three level and, and bring my, my own spin to the table and bring my own take and, and be able to, uh, you know, make an impact. So I'm, I'm excited for the new adventure and um, the, the possible, you know, the opportunity there. And, um, you know, it was a great time at, at Stonehill and, and, and made great connections and work with great people. And, um, you know, always we'll be looking, looking at those guys and, and hoping the most success for them, like as I do with Mass Maritime. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, you know, j- there's just times in your career where you just gotta, um, you know, take an opportunity when it was presented to you. And, um, you know, they, I got offered, um, it was a quick process and, you know, applied for the job in early May, went for the interview uh, about the third week of May and heard back by the, you know, by the first week of June, realistic uh, right around there. And um, yeah, it moved pretty quick and I've been uh, grinding with them the whole summer. So I'm, I'm excited for the fall now coming, coming around. Now, when you apply for a, like a coaching job, like division one, it seems like everybody has their guides, like the big coordinator comes into a division one school, division three, is it like an actual, job application you're filling out and like kind of like a recruiting questionnaire that kids fill out is it like that um also that gets submitted to the school or do you go through an actual coach and kind of do like pre-questions before an interview um it could go a whole bunch of ways um you know I've been you know I I was looking down at my um you know I kept a list of all the school all the jobs that I had put my name into into a hat for obviously like we said you know being a younger coach you got to be ready to move on up and, or, you know, uh, you know, take the best opportunity possible and, you know, always looking out for stuff. And I think I, you know, put out roughly, you know, 20, you know, just putting my resume out there, 20, you know, 20, uh, 20 times, 20 different, uh, jobs. Um, you know, and I maybe heard back from a handful of them. So it's, it's really, you know, it was a competitive process and obviously just, you know, some stuff that I, I didn't know people at, or, and I just threw my name in the hat. Um, you know, like you said, at some bigger schools where they probably already had a guy and they were just, you know, kind of posting to po- post the job because they had to, um, you know, footballscoop.com is a great resource for, for coaches where, you know, a lot of those postings are pretty true to their word, not just like Indeed or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's um, it, the process, I think, at, at the lower levels is probably a little bit more you probably have a better chance, um, you know, putting in that application. A lot of the times it's just sending in your resume and, and references to uh, the head coach or the, or a coach on staff and, and they handle it. Um, you know, other schools that are a little bit more prestigious, um, you know, they really work with um, hand in hand with HR, H, uh, you know, to, to, to pick a candidate, um, you know, but a, a lot of times, man, like a lot of other industries, it's about who, you know, or, who knows you and who can vouch for you. And, um, you know, there, 
I would say it might be a little bit less at the lower levels, but it's still definitely a part of, uh, you know, of the, of the process. And, um, you know, especially with how COVID turned everything around, you know, uh, some programs hire you, you know, before that you actually fill out the HR paperwork or fill out the, um, you know, fill out the um, job application form and stuff like that. So, you know, there's a, it, it, it kind of goes case by case, uh, depending yeah. on the school and the program and the level. So everyone's kind of different, but it's, um, it, it's all about still getting your, you know, having an impressive resume, having references to back you up. And, you know, it definitely doesn't hurt to, to have a connection on staff already with somebody, um, you know, and, and knowing somebody that can vouch for, your, um, your skills and, and, you know, uh, your abilities as a coach, as a recruiter, um, you know, the, being the whole package. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's definitely a, a fun process to go through. And, you know, even all my interviews at, at, you know, um, you know, at all the different stops I've been at have all been different in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've definitely grown each, you know, each time I've gone to an interview, added on and, and be, try to be more impressive than the last interview. And what can I do better to, to make myself a better candidate um, for each position. So it's a, it's a fun process and you get better as it, you know, as with anything else, uh, the more practice you have, the more times you do it, the better you you'll get. So hopefully I, I think this past interview with SUNY Corlin was probably my best one. Uh, okay. I think out of three I've had so far. That's awesome. So when, when doing the show, I love talking to athletes and pretty much I like hearing recruiting stories, more recruiting horror stories. And so now you're recruiting guys and this isn't, I'm not turning this back on you. I'm saying you did yeah. great in recruiting. Um, but when you were getting recruited, yep. do you, I know you're coaching now, so you probably don't want to name schools or names, but did you have any recruiting horror stories with um, that made, or not horror stories, but where a coach just wouldn't even give you the time of day, like up on a visit or something like that? Um. You know, being a uh, a barely six foot defensive end, the probably yeah. weighed you know about two fifteen in high school because I I also played lacrosse. Um, okay. you know, I probably wasn't I probably wasn't the most sought after recruit. Um, yeah. you know, I I went around just like a lot of other guys. You know, I see today. Um, you know, trying to shoot for that Division One dream. Which, hey, listen, it's it's all well and good, but at the end of the day, you know, you have to be realistic with yourself right. about where you want to go. And you know, there there's a great opportunities everywhere, which, you know, I think is, is more apparent today than now than ever. Um, you know, but I was trying to, you know, went to a private Catholic high school, you know, everyone is, is getting all these big, you know, I, I went to, I went to school with a lot of great football players, kids that went to Notre Dame, kids that went to Rutgers, you know, big time division one schools. So, you know, shooting for that FCS level, you know, go and talk to some schools in the NEC and, and stuff like that, you know, scholarship money runs out. I'm not the top guy, you know, stuff like that. But I got to say throughout the process, you know, most of the guys were pretty cordial with me and, and, and shot me straight, which I appreciated. And that's mm-hmm. how I like to recruit now is, is trying to be as truthful and as sh- shooting straight as possible. Um, I think there was probably one time uh, I went on a visit okay. and um, the school, you know, some of the players were, uh, you know, were just a little too uh, rambunctious for me. Okay. And, uh, you know, some of the guys that they had brought in last week, they, they were telling me some horror stories about like other recruits they brought up and stuff like that. So I was just like, yeah, I don't know if this is the place for me. And, right. um, you know, obviously it, it's a it's a matchmaking game at the end of the day. So, um, you know, finding the right match, you know, they might have thought I was the right match for them. And I, I and I didn't think so. So, 
um, you know, I, I was very grateful to get to get recruited and get a scholarship to uh, to St. Anselm College up in New Hampshire. So that was a that was a blessing. And I fit right in with the guys up there and had, had a blast and they did things uh, very well. So I was uh, I was happy to be a part of their program and, and make that decision. But um, yeah, I didn't I didn't really go on too many visits. I, I think I only took three, three or four overnights. So it was a uh, it was a short process, but um, I, I probably, you know, I wouldn't call them horror stories, but I think I could kind of give you, you know, if, you know, some stuff that I see nowadays as being a coach on the other side of the coin where I would like, you know, I try to coach kids up and be like, Hey, listen, like this is, you know, this would be a, you know, you see some guys, Hey, this would be a better way to do things and stuff like that. And try to try to help them out and help, help them out in that manner. And, you know, make sure kids don't athletes don't have recruiting horror stories or at least with me. So um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been a long time, but it was, um, I gotta say, I, I don't know if I really have too many besides that really one that kind of sticks out. Um, everybody else was, was, was pretty good, uh, with the way they went about things, which I like. And now how I try to coach. That one doesn't seem too bad. Like we've had a couple division one guys come on and they're like, uh, I know, uh, one of the basketball players, Brody Limerick that was on, he, he goes, VMI gives me an offer they tell me don't tweet out the offer, but we also need to know if you're going to commit within like the next two or three days. And he'd never, he'd <laughs> yeah. say, I'd never visited the school. I had never been down there. I had literally just started talking to the coaches. So he's like, I, I can't give you this offer or I can't give you the commitment now. And they just pulled the offer right off the table. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I, I being in the profession, you hear, um, you hear some crazy stories and you hear, mm-hmm. and you, or you hear rumors or, you know, like when I was at Stonehill, um, you know, you talk to kids and, and you, you start talking about money like that and, you you know, comparing packages to rivals or other schools that may have offered. And it's you hear some stories, uh, you know, maybe similar to those lines where it starts to get to that horror horror stories. Um, but I, I don't I don't think I could personally say it's happened to me, but hearing hearing some other recruit stories or, you know, um, even stuff that's happened at, at, at the high school, you know, kids at, with the high school level and um, just not knowing and, and, and coaching and stuff. It's um, it, it, it's a really crazy game, especially to be an 18, 17, 18 year old kid and, and try to make a life decision. And um, you know, it's, you know, you, you can't play around with that stuff. And I get when it gets to the division one level, it's, it's more of a business than ever. Um, but it's, it's tough to, you know, I couldn't picture holding a, a kid's life in my hands and then, you know, ripping the rug right out under them, you know, and I've had, when I was coaching at the high school level, we had a kid committed to Virginia okay. and, you know, a couple, couple weeks before signing day, you know, same thing, you know, rug got ripped underneath from him. They wanted him to go to prep school. And, um, he was like, no, I don't want to do that. And, you know, I think he, 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 uh, if I remember correctly, he wound up going, just said, screw it. I'm going to go. And he wound up going to, I, to the Ivy league and just was like, I'm just going to go and do my thing and get ready. Wound yeah. up going to Princeton and uh, probably one of the best decisions a kid ever made. Like, Hey, you know, stick to your, stick to what you know. And, you know, if you want to do it now, do your thing. And he made, I think he made a great decision. Um, at the end of the day, you can't go wrong with the Ivy league. So, um, but um, you know, you hear stuff like that all the time, you know, I feel like all the time. And um it's a two, now being on the other end of it, you know, you see, it's a, it's a two edged sword, you know, kids, kids are trying to rack up 30 offers and you don't know if they're really just, you know, they do, they truly love football or they just love the attention and the offers yeah. or, 
you know, or the other edge where, you know, the coach is blowing smoke up the kids, you know, uh, blowing, blowing smoke up the kid for there. And, uh, you know, and, and he says one thing and, and then next thing, you know, next week, you know, kid commits and all oh, that, that's not there anymore. So um, yeah, it's, it, it is a crazy world. And um, you know, that's why I try to be the guy that, uh, you know, and, and try to make things as clear as possible for guys and lay it all out and, and go the extra mile. And, you know, I would hope if, if you talk to some of those freshman guys that are a year behind you going to be sophomores, you know, that I, that I recruited, I would hope they say like, Hey, coach Curran was, you know, he did the right thing. Like he, you know, he helped me get it here. That's, you know, and, and, and they would say nice things about me versus, uh, you know, not very nice things, but, um, you know, that's, it, it is, it's just a crazy world we live in today. And especially, uh, you know, with some of the NI, NIL stuff going on, um, right. I'm sure it's going to get even crazier. <laughs> well, the big thing now is the kid from uh, Texas, Quinn Ewers. He's talking about just leaving, not even taking up his senior year of high school because he has the credits and just going to Ohio State. I mean, he wouldn't be doing that if the NIL bill wasn't uh, in place right now. He sees that he could cash in really quick on – uh, on becoming that guy that makes the jump that not a, that you probably never will see. So exactly. it is pretty crazy how much the money is going to dictate the recruiting now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see with, um, you know, obviously, you know, Alabama's Alabama, you know, I know Nick Saban's using that as a great recruiting tool, mm-hmm. no matter what, you know, he, he, I feel like he does things the right, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, you know, he sets the standard. He, he does things, you know, from what it seems like the right way, yeah. um, you know, and he, he makes sure those guys are, are on a good path, um, you know, and then you see stuff like, you know, Texas and Oklahoma trying to make that jump to the SEC now, um, you know, hey, listen, Longhorn Network, are they going to get some money from that? You know, how's that going to work? And, you know, that could be a big recruiting tool for them, but realistically, like, are they just luring you in with the money so that way they could make the jump to the SEC and, and be more competitive, you know? I don't know. It's, it's, it's a crazy jump going on and crazy things are happening. And, you know, it's, it's uh, it's, you know, just take a step back one day at a time, see how it all plays out and, you know, how the, uh, how the NCAA is going to kind of move forward with this and, um, you know, kind of go from there, but it, honestly, great opportunity for, for players and uh, to, to take advantage and, and be able to do some, some really good things and use their platform. So, you know, um, I'm seeing great things at the Division One level, and you know, some guys back at home at, at Rutgers doing some really nice things. Um, you know, and and um, you know, all throughout college college sports, you see guys doing a lot of good stuff. So, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be fun to watch over the next couple of years. Yeah. Now, as a as a college coach, what what are your whole thoughts on like when you see the kids that show up to like an Oklahoma or an Oregon for a recruiting visit, and it's they pull out the throne, they pull out a Rolls Royce on the field um, and you see all that type of stuff. And that's kind of their way. Of, and, and like you kind of mentioned it with uh, Alabama. I mean, you don't really see a lot of that at Alabama on the visits. Like granted, they get the kids in the uniforms, but every division yep. one school does that, but they're not pulling cars out onto the field and breaking out like thrones for the kids yeah. to take pictures in. So it so what are your, what's your thought there? Uh, you know, I, I like to, I like to roll out a red carpet in some manner mm. to make a kid, you know, uh, to make a guy feel special yeah. and to make, make them feel like, Hey, listen, you're the, every, to make it feel like everyone's the number one recruit. You know, that's what I did at mass maritime and try to make sure, you know, especially for those individual visits, make sure everyone feels like they're at home and they're comfortable. 
I think when it gets to that level, it's just a little bit gaudy, um, you know, and it, are you really there to play football? Are you, are you there to take Instagram pictures and, and pretend to be a football player? Um, you know, Hey, listen, got to get in the uniform, got to see the locker room, you know, that'll look good, feel good, play good thing. You know, I get that, all that stuff, but I think some, I think there's a fine line where you kind of cross that and it's like, do you really need to do that? Or is, is that really part of the day to day at the school? Um, or are you just kind of, you know, just splurging on the money there, you know, and try to one up, you know, your conference rival. So, you know, I think at some point, um, gets a little out of control, but you know, Hey, listen, sometimes I think rolling out the red carpet and making that guy feel, excuse me, like he's on top of the world. Um, you know, he's the number one recruit, you know, and, and doing that kind of nice things. I think that is a great way to go about it. Um, but over the top, like, you don't need a Rolls Royce. Like, is that really going to make the difference? Like, uh, I don't think so. So, um, you know, I think there's a line there that some people are probably crossing, but um, you know, I'm kind of, I wouldn't say old school, but like, I'm kind of like, Hey, listen, I'll show you the facilities. We got great facilities, uniforms, all that stuff. Let's take a picture. Let's put it on, you know, put it on social media. It spreads the word, um, you know, and the brand of the program. And um, you know, it's, it's, just really good um you know get get that out there and stuff like that but uh, you know definitely a line there definitely a line yeah so um i the best was when go to the football offices during the season and i'd see you or coach rainey with the the shirt and tie on because you knew that was that was recruiting visit day like kids were coming up and it, it was just awesome to see all you guys throw that on and then once the visit was over, Randy would get back in. He's throwing the tie off, and right back into his sweatsuit. So that, yeah. was, that was definitely awesome to see. But yeah, that's a that was a it was a beautiful thing having the locker room right downstairs and yeah. and having our having our full wardrobe there. So that was that was always a lot of fun. And but again, that's the process of like, you know, hey, listen, like we, you know, we're, you know, obviously at 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 Mass Maritime, you know, you guys are all in uniform anyway. So yeah. it was always like being more dressed up and, and being looking professional, obviously the shirt and tie a little bit extra, like you said. Um, but those days I loved, especially as recruiting coordinator, because it's like, it's my day to show off our players, our facilities and our school. And, um, you know, especially after the season we had in 2019, where we had, we had both, um, you know, both rivalry trophies. We had all that good stuff. We had new uniforms. We got, we had, um, you know, all these nice little upgrades. It was like, how, how could you not be excited to show this off to potential recruits, um, you know, and, and put their name up on the big screen board up in front. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, Joe Malkin, our SID, like he, he would, he was all in for it. So like, that was great to have him and just the whole athletic department support and be like, Hey, can, you know, bring ideas to the table to coach cam and these guys and be like, Hey, do you think we could do this? And they're like, dude, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's, let's go for it. And, and that's what I loved about that place too, was being able to put my own spin on it and and seeing it be successful. And, you know um, you know, hopefully that them still running with some of those ideas and and the way we set things up when I was there. And um, it was a blast. It really was, you know, making it very personal and bringing them into the little conference room upstairs and, showing them the highlight film and the personal tour, having their Jersey and, and name up in a locker. It's, it's those little things that, you know, I don't think are over the top, but like we said, those are, it makes those are the little icing on the cake right there. But again, you know, something that I think helps a lot was, you know, uh, 
having lunch in the dining hall, having, having guys that are in certain majors come down and sit and talk with a recruit. Those are the important, those were the important things there. But uh, yeah, we had, we had some good times, good times. Coach Rainey knew everything. Coach Farzani gave in some great input. Coach, coach Laz was there to help me out if I, if I misstep, but we had that thing down to a science. It was great. So like you said, coming out of high school, you're the six foot, 215 pound DN. You picked to play at St. A's and then your senior year rolls around, you're voted captain. How did that transformation kind of all come about for you where you went from being a smaller edge rusher to now you're a captain of a football team and a four year letter winner? Yeah. So it's, it was a crazy experience. And, um, you know, back when I first got to St. A's, we didn't have many guys from New Jersey and, you know, just talked to a coach a couple weeks back at a camp and he said they're up to, you know, maybe 15 to 20 guys from Jersey on the roster, which is great to see uh, the home state representing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was, um, you know, I had to work my tail off for everything, you know, being an, uh, you know, I'm going to say an undersized division two defensive lineman. Um, you know, I worked my tail off my senior season and, um, you know, in the off season, getting ready for college and put on 20 pounds and went in at 235. And, you know, next thing you know, every, every year I keep getting bigger, stronger, faster and dedicating my whole summer and my whole life to football. Mm -hmm. And that's how, you know, I obviously that's why I got into coaching was to continue helping guys progress in their in their game. Um but also because I couldn't leave, I didn't want to leave the game, you know, obviously I can't play anymore, but I could coach it and make sure that, um, you know, my guys are, are better than I was when I got to that level. Um, but I think the thing that, that got me there was, you know, guys saw me and they saw me working out on the weekends in the gym by myself. They saw, they saw that I was working extra or that I was, I would come back and I'd be ready to go for the season. Like uh, there was no questions asked if I was working my tail off or not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I knew the playbook in and out. I knew everything, um, you know, coaching up the young guys. If, if you would talk to my D line coach from college, he would tell you by the time I graduated, I had four years of coaching experience already under my belt because I had to coach up everybody on the D line. And that's how he coached the, the unit was everybody coached each other. Okay. So um you know, having that leadership and, um, you know, ability to, to step up and, and lead a program was, um, it was definitely a, a big step, but it was a challenge that I wanted to accept. And I think the, the younger guys in, in the room saw that and taking the time out of my day or bringing guys along with me, you know, they say you're either, you know, pulling against everybody or, you know, or you're going with, going with the, with the, with the crowd. So, you know, I was bringing guys with me. I was, I was always pulling guys in the right direction and, you know, guys in the weight room that didn't have their, their, their numbers that they wanted. All right, well, let's go to the weight room. Come, come with me on the weight room on Saturday and right. we'll get an extra lift in. You need to get an extra lift. All right. All right. Next time Max's came around, that kid's bench was up 20 pounds. All right, dude. Well, what'd you think? You know, we were working our tails off, bringing those guys with me and, um, it, 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 it you know, and, and just even in the room, just hearing guys like, seeing guys do pass rush moves. Oh, dude, where'd you learn that? I like that move. And they're like, Oh, Richie, I saw it from you, man. Like I saw you do that last week. I was like, yeah. Oh crap. Like, you know, guys are always watching and um, you know, we had a great unit and like I said, coaching each other up and um, it was, it, it was just a lot of hard work. It was a lot of hard work and, and gaining the respect uh, of my peers. And, you know, it was um, 
it was, it was a, it was a great ride. And, but I dedicated basically my, my life to football for, for how many years? Cause I had a, I was always that skinny kid that could never put on weight and, you know, played lacrosse and stuff like that. So I was, I was on the thinner side and then, you know, college came around and I, I just bulked up and, and put in the extra time and, and the work needed. And, um, everybody around that, around me saw that and, um, you know, uh, kind decided to, that. yeah, gravitate to that. And, um, you know, decided to, to bless me with that honor. And, um, you know, I still see guys today and, and, and we, we have good laughs and good, good chats about the times we had. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it was a great honor to have had, and especially, um, you know, with a new staff coming in my senior year, it was important to try and help keep those guys together and, and move us in the right direction. So um, taking that step up when, when guys are, you know, looking down and, and wondering what's going to happen and, and trying to, to lift them up and keep them together. So mm-hmm. it was a, it was a crazy process now that I look back on it and it's, it's a, it's a tough thing to do, but it was a great challenge and a, a great opportunity to uh, lead a great group of young men uh, back then. So, uh, and definitely has helped me now in my coaching career, be a, be a leader and control the room. So it was a, it was a good step in the right direction. Now, when you were playing, what would like, let's say senior year of college, what was your style on the field? Like, what did you, what was your gear? Like, did you go with a towel, a visor? Did you go wrist <laughs> tape, gloves? Like, what, what were you rocking with? Or was it a game by game basis? Um, for the most part, I was a, uh, I had, uh, I would go, uh, you know, my, my basic Nike, Nike mid-calf socks, okay. um, my senior year, I had, I got my nice white custom cleats cause we had all white uniforms. That's awesome. So I was, I was all whited, whited out. Um, I had these white and Navy blue Nike vapor gloves. They were receiver gloves, but I liked those better than the D line gloves. Cause I didn't like the, the padding on them. Oh, they're white, I couldn't they're get white my, better. yeah. Yeah. I couldn't get my hands on a guy nice and nice the way I wanted to. So, um, but those would get beat, beat up real good by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, I started, uh, by the time I think I was a junior, I was doing the whole, like, almost like a boxing glove tape up. Yeah. yeah right around, um, right around the knuckles around the wrist. Yeah. Around the knuckles through, through the thumb around the wrist. Um, I was doing that up with my gloves and then I always wore one, one arm sleeve. That okay. was, that was my thing. I always wore one arm sleeve no, was on it like, my right. Was it like the shooter sleeve, like the NBA, like the, that you'll see, or was it a shorter, like a, it was the yeah, it was the short one uh, just for the forearm. So I wore yeah. one white one of that, um, and then that was it, you know. And the, no visor, nothing. Um, you know, I had the Nike. Uh, what was it? The um, so that was a Nike arm sleeve, and then I had uh, yeah, just my Rydell Speed man, and uh, just just go and get after. We had some great. We always had some great helmets and great mm-hmm. uh, great uniforms and stuff like that. Like I said, the all white. Um, we had the Oregon Ducks like uh, feathers look with the, it was a white helmet with blue feathers. That was a really nice look. And we had some other ones too, but that was the one I loved the most. And, uh, but yeah, that's what I usually rocked every game. That was, that was my go-to. That's pretty, that's pretty nice. I like the, uh, that, that Oregon duck, that must've been pretty sick to have on the helmets. Yeah. Oh, I love the fe- like the feather. We, I think we had a stripe and then the feathers on the sides. It was, it, especially with the white and blue, it was a great look. And, uh, yeah, the only one bad thing that I remember was, uh, you know, I was still a bigger guy, but mm-hmm. I, I had uh, wound up getting number 99 and it was like a, like a double triple XL maybe. So oh. it was a, it was always a, it was always a little bit loose on me, but uh, 
I made the most of it. I, I rocked it as best I could and, and had as much swag as possible. But uh, yeah. that was a, uh, it, it was, yeah, it was a, it was a fun time. Had, had, had a little bit of swag on me. I could have probably used a visor, but uh, it's I tough, refrained. It's tough to have swag when your jersey is just like a dress on you. Like the, cause not even like in the body, it's in the arms when it's not yeah. tight to the arms. It's just huge. Like there, it's, I was, uh, yeah, it was, it was good. Cause it was tight up top. I just in oh, the wow. midsection, so I would, I would, sometimes I would have the, uh, I actually had a back plate too. So oh, I would have the, I would have the, um, I would have the athletic trainers roll it up against my uh, back plate and then try to like tape it around it or something to try. And, so it almost come out like a belly shirt, yeah. um, nice little crop top. Um, and then I used to have refs come up to me and be like, you can't wear your Jersey like that. You gotta, you gotta roll it down. So it was a constant battle some, some weeks, depending on what kind of the refs were. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I tried to, I had a little bit of swag. I, I tried, tried a little bit, but being a six foot, 260 something pound, you know, defensive lineman, it's, it's, it's a little bit tough, but I did my yeah. best. <laughs> so you, in, you also interned with my, the Dolphins in 2017. Um, what was that whole experience like? Just because you don't really, people intern with uh, law firms and at, account with accountants and stuff like that you intern with an NFL team uh what what, what was that whole experience like and kind of how did you get to intern there uh it was a that was one of the best experiences I've ever had and uh had a blast that that one summer um would have probably tried to stay longer if I wasn't enrolled in grad school already yeah. um but um yeah I just you know just applied and uh you know, they had um, a, a big pool, uh, I'm sure, of applicants, and they chose about uh, 20 to 25 people to do it. And, um, you know, had, hadn't, you know, most of the people were from Florida. It was me. I know a kid who was from New York. Um, and I think there was a girl that wound up coming from like Georgia or South Carolina or something a little bit further away, mm-hmm. but um, a kid from Ohio. So we had a couple guys, a couple people from far away, um, you know, and, uh, interviewed had a good interview they offered offered me the position and like do you think you can make it work because they didn't really apply uh, you know uh, give out housing or, or you know supply housing or anything like that so I was like all right well you got to find your own housing you got to get your way down here so there was some stuff there but they I mean obviously were paying me so that was kind of a, a good thing yep. um, you know and uh, yeah just got down there and uh, hit the ground running we had our first meeting and we ran, um, I started off in youth programs, uh, the youth programs department. So that was basically uh, running on seven on seven tournaments, mm-hmm. uh, the youth camps at their practice facility, um, doing little odds and ends around the stadium and the practice facility, cleaning things up, you know, getting ready for events, um, you know, community outreach. Like they, when I was there, they found a storage unit uh 10 feet i think it was like 10 feet by 10 feet filled to the brim with nike cleats that have never been worn all in boxes like boxed up um and they brought them to the stadium and they're like all right well we're we're gonna get ready for like a big event they they usually do um like a uh a donation like out to the local uh, uh high school programs especially you know some of those big boys down in florida you know, they no. It's hard to find size fifteen cleats, so right, right. You know, they would give away some of those cleats to to young kids in the area that didn't have them. Um, so they would do stuff like that, and um, you know, helping helping out with like stuff like that, and you just sit there in amazement, like holy cow, like 
they have all this money just sitting here and in, in this storage unit and completely forgot about it. Um, but that was really good. That was, uh, you know, the half first half of my experience down there. Um, also, I know, I remember we did like a big high school media day. So got to run that in the stadium with all the high schools down in the area, see different prospects and stuff like that. So we had a blast, um, you know, in that regard. And then I transitioned over, um, to the football operations department. And then we, we started getting ready for training camp. Uh, so we, we, they did like, um, they used to call them activations, but they were like little, um, like almost like carnival type of like games and stations to make training camp more fun for the fans. And, um, we, uh, we would set that up in the morning. We'd have to get there about like 5.00 AM set that up. Training camp would start at like eight o'clock, you know, we help people to their seats, just kind of patrol the, the area for the whole day. And then at the end of training camp, they would do like, um, a little, uh, scrimmage between like youth programs. So, um, we would stay and do like chain gang or something like that. And they, gotcha. you know, at the practice facility, but we'd help up, you know, help clean everything up, get, you know, get places ready for that. Um, you know, which was, which was a lot of fun, got to interact with some players and, and coaches and stuff like that. And, um, which was a lot, a great time. And then the last part of it was, uh, helping out with, um, preseason games. So we would, you know, uh, host youth organizations for, for different preseason games, bring them out on the field, have them stand out there for the national anthem, you know, have them, they would go up to a big suite and enjoy the game, get snacks, food. And we'd basically kind of like run the behind the scenes show for that and have players come over and talk with the kids and, and stuff like that. So it was, it was a lot of fun. So I was, I got to be out on the field for that. Um, and kind of be able to, like I said, interact with players, interact with the coaches, have these kids out on the field for an NFL game. It's a great, it was a great experience. Yeah. And uh, made a lot of connections. Uh, You know, one, another guy that I worked with is is now coaching at the collegiate level. Um, A lot of people are still in NFL organizations. Um, One of the uh, young ladies I was working with, she's now with the Carolina Panthers. Um, You know, so everyone's off doing their own thing. One guy, uh, one guy stayed on with the dolphins and he was, he's with the field crew. So he does all the field painting between the dolphins and the Hur- Miami hurricanes college team games. Nice. Um, so he does all that field maintenance. So everybody kind of branched off to do a lot of great things, but um, it was a great experience to kind of learn the ins and outs of a professional organization and kind of help me uh, understand what I was getting into with college sports and, kind of how, uh, you know, the collegiate programs run in collegiate athletic departments. Cause it is, uh, it is a crazy business, but, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a, it was a, a good, uh, good experience to have coming out of college and being out on my own in Florida for a bit and, and kind of do my thing. But it was a, it was a really fun time. Now you're from, so you're a New Jersey guy, Jets or Giants. So are you a Jets or Giants fan? <sighs> I, I hate answering this question because, uh, you know, I, I'd rather, to be honest, I'd rather watch college football and it okay, just stinks. Like it just stinks because I, I'm now a college coach. So I don't watch many very game, uh, not a lot of games unless it's matching on a Tuesday night. Yeah, um, it's great. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's great to watch, but um, you know, if I had to pick a team, I'd probably go, I, it stinks to say, but I'd probably go with the jets. Um okay. Okay. Now, now that I'm up in, now that I'm up in Cortland, I'm closer to Buffalo. So maybe I could join Bill's mafia. I mean, um, that, would be, that would work out pretty good for you right there. It seems like yeah. 
they met not okay. too bad. You know, while I was while I was hiding out in New England, I would say Patriots and just hop on there. But you know, now I'm up in up in upstate New York, so it's that Buffalo area. You know, I might have to might, might have to be part of Bills Mafia now. You know, never you never uh, never know. If I settle down up there, it's could be a possible possible team to keep rooting for. They're they're doing pretty well. They got a they got some bright future ahead of them. Uh, now, so do you have a college team like a division one team that you follow or is it just any college football you can get at any time um i would say when i was a little kid uh there was a there was a player in my area that we used to watch play in high school and he was a great great athlete wound up going to play at uh play safety at the university of florida so that would probably be one team that i would say i always kind of keep an eye on i always enjoy Mm -hmm. watching them play um you know, I would love to see, I know it's always floating around social media of a 30 for 30 of that, uh, oh. Tim Tebow team and, uh, you awesome. know, with Hernandez and the Pouncey brothers, you know, so I, I would be a big fan of that, of that watch. Um, you know, but like that was, that was a team I always watched. And then, um, you know, back when the big East was still, still a thing, uh, you know, Ruck, you know, always went and watched some Rutgers games, but mm-hmm. watching them play Virginia tech was always a great one you know, with Mike Vick and those guys um, watching them, you know, Miami uh, hurricanes were in there. So uh, the U would come up to and play Rutgers and stuff like that. So uh, I, I kind of missed that conference a little bit, but um, oh, that conference you know, great. some of those, some of those games were, were fun to watch, um, you know, and uh, still kind of keep an eye on some of those, those colleges. Um, you know, Notre Dame is a, is a big one. I like to watch. I've um, one of the players I was, uh, fortunate to, to, to know and coach at, at my, at the high school level, he's now a player there. He's playing tight end. Um, one of my former teammates went there. So, um, you know, it, that's another one I always like to root for and, uh, being, a going to a private Irish Catholic kind of school, it's, it's kind of in the, it's, it's in the cards there. So, um, you know, that's, that's another school I, I always like to watch and kind of root for. What's crazy going back to that Florida team is, like you name, like the the four big ones everybody talks about are Tebow, the Pouncey brothers, and Hernandez. But you had Riley Cooper on that team who yep. pretty much got pushed out of the league for his incident. You've got Cam Newton who was a backup on that team. Yep. Urban Meyer was the coach. You had Percy Harvin at receiver, and then even on campus you had Joakim Noah and Al Horford run the basketball team. Yeah. And I think Ryan Lochte was on the swim team there. So it's just loaded, just loaded with athletes. I would have loved to have been just a fly on the wall on that campus at, at that time. It would have been unreal. Yeah, I could I could only imagine. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, Urban Myers, you know, he's had a storied career. And, yep. you know, it'll be interesting to see how he transitions to the NFL now and bringing his boy Tebow with him. And, you know, I, I, I hope I hope Tebow makes the makes the squad and mm-hmm. um, is, is able to, to kind of prove himself. Uh, I think he's a great athlete. And I remember watching him in his high school days. Um, I don't know if you're old enough for this, but there was a show, uh, on, M- I think it was actually on MTV and it was about a, it was about a, a school down in Alabama and they were killing it. And, um, they actually went and played Nice high school in Florida where Tebow played and he was this big time quarterback and wound up beating this school in Alabama. who was like the number one school, um, Hoover high school at the time and they uh and they and Tebow beat him and then I just you know progressively watched him from that show and at Nice all the way through and now and then to the NFL and beyond now but uh 
you know, he's, he's just a freak. It's, it's crazy to, to see everything that he can do. And uh, yeah, I hope, I hope he gets a shot. I, I, that'd be great to, that'd be great, you know, great to see fun to watch. And uh, hopefully that Jaguars team can kind of get it together there under urban. So it'd be cool uh, to see know. them be a good team. Just, it would be pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, th- I think he'll get them together uh, in, in some fashion and get a couple wins under his belt. And, you know, they got, a, they got a fun QB bunch there with Trevor Lawrence and, uh, and Minshew and yeah. it'll be uh it'll be fun to watch how they progress through, through preseason and into the regular season. So it'll be uh you know, that obviously now being a college coach, I'll definitely catch some more NFL games in the office, but uh, you know, it'll be uh yeah, it'll, it should be a fun, fun, fun little scene there. Coach. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, one question we do always ask any former athlete, athlete or coach that comes on. So I, I'm curious how, how this one will be for you. It's you got, time for three songs before a game in your headphones what are you listening to now did has it changed my question is has it changed for you as a player to a coach and if so like what was the big difference for you um I would say some of the songs still hit the same some of them hit a little bit different now um if I if if you asked me this question uh I would probably say two of the three would be the same. And those would be, uh, Eminem lose yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a, I, I, I don't listen to it now because I know what kind of, of zone it'll get me into and what kind of mood. So I, I try to shy away from that right now until I really need it. Um, and then right above it, little Wayne, uh, and Drake is, is a classic. And that one just right. You know, when I get on the football field, it brings back those great memories of, 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 of a player and, and those Friday night lights and everything like that. Um, you know, and, and as I've gotten older, um, you know, something about, I don't know if it's my Jersey side in me, but, uh, you know, some of those little house, house music and, and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, anything with a nice bass, it just kind of, kind of gets the, uh, the blood pumping a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I've also started getting back into a little bit more rock. I would say I probably, if I had to pick a third song, I'd probably say hell's bells. Um, you know, my, my guys at Stonehill would, would really love that one, uh, on a nice Saturday morning practice, just jamming that. I I was in charge of music. So start jamming that up on the speakers, slowly chiming that in. Um, nothing quite, quite gets, uh, quite gets you going like that. So, uh, I guess those final three would be lose yourself right above it. And then uh, a little hell's bells. That's awesome. I love that coach. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, possibly after the season, get you back on, talk about that and uh, how your first year at Cortland went. Yeah, for sure. I, I love to do that. And, uh, you know, like we said at the beginning, you know, this is a, this is a great part of the relationship where I could get to get on and, uh, you know, be on the podcast and, and, and share my view and, and be able to uh, have the listeners kind of see what a little peek behind the curtain of being a, a college football coach. So I appreciate you having me on, Andrew, and uh, look forward to talking after the season. Definitely. And thank you for listening to this episode of the My Parents Office podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes going to be releasing. Thank you. Bananas trying to be the apple of your eye. Real shit, baby. Got me stressed on vacation. No escaping. Playing with my head in my heart. She would shut me up quick. Like, don't even stop.